census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And we are here in the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor with, uh, you know, the Dorkening Podcast Network. That's where we are. That's what we're part of. And as such, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Once you go deadly, you don't go back. And uh, I am, of course, not here by myself. I am here by my easily distracted co-host on the show and co-host in life. She is staring at the cat. Uh, she is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie, it's Ashes Von Nightmare. In my defense, she's a really cute cat. Yes. She's like, baby. Oh, the she cat's baby. sleeping. That never happens. She baby. Well, she's being cute. Look, look at her. She's sleeping. Look at her right now. Yeah, she's sleeping. I've seen a cat sleep. Oh, but she's so cute. Oh, my God. Oh, the cat is sleeping. The oh. cat's doing something. I've never seen that. I must stare at the cat. This is a rare occurrence, a sleeping cat. Okay, but in... <laughs> How many times have you been like, drop what you're doing and come see what the cat's doing right now? Come look at this. Come look at this. You I know do it, you like it quite frequently. Because I know you like it. I know you like watching the cat sit there and Who not... sends me cat pictures throughout the day? Well, you have a stressful job and you need a little bit of uh, endorphins here and there. And that the cat pictures release your, your, your endorphins. <laughs> endorphins, your endorphins, yeah. Look at him. He's so cute. Oh, my God. He's doing cute little kitty stuff. So, I think any cat person can attest to this behavior. Like, your cat exists, and you're just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's so precious. Kitty. Oh, the cat is licking its oh asshole. Oh, my God. So cute. She was trying to roll over, and she was like, oh, I'm on the back of the chair. I probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, if she rolled over, she'd fall down. Uh, speaking of falling down, that man is injured. But uh, we have uh, we have the hockey game. Yeah. Going. So the reason why this episode is a little later than usual is because of playoff hockey. It's all playoff hockey's fault, and the fact that the game. So long we were story short, record after we usually the record the show on Wednesday evenings because that's just kind of when it fits into our schedule. So we record Wednesday evening, and the episode drops on Thursday. So we were going to record after the. Uh, Bruins Capitals game three of the the first round of the playoffs and it went into double overtime so not just it wasn't a full 60 minutes of hockey it was a full 90 minutes or so yeah because he scored what about halfway through second overtime about that 
So it just got way too late. And I was like, damn, this bitch got to go to bed because she got to get up early because she got to go make them dollars. So, uh, yeah, it just didn't happen. So we're recording it now. It is Thursday. This episode will drop as soon as we're done recording it. So it's almost like you're you're, you're kind of listening in real time. Yes. If you listen to it as it's soon one as nothing we drop. Minnesota Vegas. But yeah, so we have we have playoff hockey on in the background. Uh because I mean obviously I'm cheering for my team, the Boston Bruins, but I love all playoff hockey. The Penguins and Islanders game that had, got at one point had eleven men in the penalty but five for five for New York and six for the Penguins. Uh the Penguins ended up winning the game five four. But it was there was a lot of chippiness, a lot of fighting, a lot of guys grabbing each other, hitting each other. Uh, it was it was great. I love playoff hockey. But uh, today we are not talking about playoff hockey. Although what we are talking about uh, occurred ten years ago, which also coincidentally is when the Bruins won, won the, the Stanley, Stanley Cup. Cup. Yes, J- June fifteenth was the day they won Game Seven. June fifteenth, two thousand eleven, uh, and. I don't know the exact air date of the first or final episode, but we can find out. But we are uh, we are discussing. So it premiered oh. on HBO April 17th of 2011. We are talking about what? We are talking about the first season of Game of Thrones. And what we learned from that. Oh, he tripped on the puck. Okay. So like a... A lot of people do with their favorite television shows is they sometimes have yearly rewatch, like the, the annual rewatch of television show X, and we do that with Game of Thrones. I don't think we realize that we do it, but we we've done it. Well, I've done it. I I've rewatched it five or six times. But um, so we didn't actually start watching this when it first aired. It took us a little bit to get into it. Well, we didn't have uh, HBO, so... Well, I mean, so there was that. But, I mean, for me, it was the whole, like, fantasy element. I, or I should say, that's how it I, I perceived it. You know, I thought it was going to be, like, super fantastical and... Um, I mean, it kind of was. Well, I mean, it, it, to to but a certain was extent, I wasn't expecting it to be what it was. I was ex- expecting it to be something else. I thought it was going to be some kind of Lord of the Rings, which you thing, still, which you hadn't which seen I, at the so, time. Again, which I hadn't seen at the time, and you know, I, I just, I. I mean, to be fair, pretty much every fantasy epic owes a lot of its story and characters and world building to. Uh, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So. I mean, I just, I had a lot of preconceived notions about this show. And I was just like, you know, what? I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to like it. It's not my thing. Well, and, I, I bought the first season. Well, be, due to uh, both your brothers and your dad were heavily into it. And they were kept, they kept saying, like, no, you don't understand. Like, it's really graphic. There's a lot of violence. There's well, a lot of blood and gore. I like, had, you would really like it. I had hung out with my brother, uh, Dave, earlier in the day um, or earlier in that week. And it was the episode from season three where the wildlings attack the wall with the mammoths mm-hmm. and the giants. And I was like, what is this shit? And Dave was like, it's Game of Thrones. Like, this is what I've been telling you about. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, all right, I don't want to watch anymore. And I went and I bought the season. I forget, uh, sometime that week, because I, uh, I was working at Target at the time, 
so I got a discount yeah, and it was twenty you, bucks for season one. You bought the first season and you had to, you would explain to me what you had seen and you're like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like we we really need to watch this. And then a snow day happened, so um, we were three seasons behind at this point. So season yeah. one, two, and three had aired, and we had borrowed um, some of it too. Well, right. So you bought the first season, then we borrowed the a couple of of the the other seasons from but, Agent Nicole. Um. What happened was we had a snow day and we decided, you know what, let's just let's just pop in Game of Thrones. Let's just give it a whirl, see what happens. And we stayed in bed watching Game of Thrones all fucking day. We did stop to take a nap after I think six episodes or the second disc. We're like, you know what? We've earned this nap. But we went through the entire series in a day. No, no, not the whole the season. That's what I meant. Like the whole the series season. of discs. We went like, through we the went whole through season. The two. whole first season in a day. Second season. And because like, we started watching season one, because we're like, let's just check this out. And like the opening of you know the 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 Rangers going beyond the wall and encountering the wildlings and you know like we tried it when we talked to people about. This show, they're like, they're like, I don't know, I never really got into Game of Thrones, even now, and it's like, oh, but it's got, you know, it's got ice zombies, and, you know, there's, there's ice zombies and beheadings and attempted child murder and incest, and that's episode one, like, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, needless to say, I ate my words on this show. It piqued my interest, and I was hooked so we ended up watching the um we went all three seasons so yeah we went we watched all three seasons just in time for the fourth season to to air and you know we were do they do do they have like a a, like thronies like kind of like trekkies for game of thrones like we're thronies that sounds really lame. That does sound lame. That's <laughs> terrible. We were enthusiasts. So what had happened was because you're you're misremembering it a little bit. We had got, I had gotten the first season it and we watched matter. a few of like, them. Long story short, well, we on, watched on, it. We on. liked it. But we had we we had the snow day and then we had another snow day the following week and we were able to watch season three, or finish season three and start season four, because season four uh, we didn't. No, we watched season four in real time. Did we? Yes. I'm trying to remember if it was four or five, but that four sounds about right. Yeah, because we would go over to uh, Dave's and we'd watch, because we had the first three seasons on Because DVD. we had the parties. Yeah, we would go over there. You'd make stuff. We'd order pizza or whatever, you know. I'd make Game of Thrones themed desserts. Uh, yeah, Like House of time. Black and White Brownies. Not, well, and Little Finger Sandwiches. Not and every time. Brienne of Tarts. Yeah, well, those are the things you said you were going to make, but you only made them a couple of times. You didn't do it every single time. But when there was a season finale, and we learned that the real season finale is episode nine every year, every season, because episode nine is like, like the big climactic events that would happen would be episode nine most of the time. And then... Season, uh, episode 10 would be okay let's deal with what just happened and set up the next season mm-hmm. like you know okay you know this happened but we got our uh, protagonist for this particular story because like, there's really no specific protagonist because everybody had a part to play 
It's like, okay, we're going to move this person from here, and now they're on a boat headed to this place, or now they're on a horse headed to this place, or now they just arrived at this castle so they can get things started. So Yeah, they did things to kind of progress the story. In a, for, for the majority of the seasons, the in, a, seasons. in a more natural way. Um, but yeah, so, uh, well, and, and it's funny because uh, Facebook Memories reminded me that a couple of days ago was actually the second anniversary. So it's been two years since the final episode of the series aired because I had a, a, a status saying Westeros is purgatory in a logging town. Yes. <laughs> and if you understand that, you're amazing and I love you. You'll, and um, you'll get it a little better at the end of this episode, I think. Yes, yes. Uh, but anyway, so we are focusing mainly on the first season because, I mean, a lot of characters were introduced in the first season. A lot of these characters we never saw again. Due and there to were a lot of characters we, reasons. Didn't, we didn't see... I would say there are a lot of characters we didn't see for a Yet, while. We didn't meet at that point. Well, right. right. I mean, you know, we're, Tywin Lannister. I was just going to say, well, there, there are, but we're not good talking about season two. We're I know, only but I'm talking just about saying, season one. That's what I'm, I'm saying. saying there, there's I, a lot right. of. There's characters that are very popular that we didn't meet yet. And, you know, so even though there is this uh, rich, rich mythology that keeps getting built on, the first season is what really sets that foundation. And I think what this show did was it kind of really uh, killed the expectations that we had, you know, for the show. That's because you're sitting there, you're it. like, oh, you know, uh, oh, oh, you know, this this person, I like this person. This person seems to be the main character. They're not going to get killed off. Oh, oh, they just got killed off. Oh, oh, okay. Can't wait you know, to see just, how he dominates. Completely blew any and all expectations. But, you know, and it was also really cool, you know, during rewatching to go back and see how much these characters, you know, from from what we remember them being in the later seasons, you know, seeing what they were like when they were first introduced. Some of these characters, you know, go on this incredible journey, literally and figuratively, uh, figuratively, you know, um, they have these crazy character evolutions. Some of them don't. Some of them don't change much. Uh, but it's it's really cool to kind of go back. And if you are a fan of Game of Thrones, and by any stretch, I, I highly, highly, highly recommend going back and revisiting the earlier seasons. Because, I mean, ugh, the story is there. The writing is so good. Like, the dialogue in these first few seasons are so good. Like, listening to these, the, the banter between some of these characters, what they're saying, it's just, ah, it's great. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting to kind of take a step back and, you know, revisit the journey with different eyes, knowing what's coming up, because you can kind of pay attention to some of the characters a little bit more. And you can pay attention to what's happening in the background. The little subtleties. A little more, right. There's a lot of little nuances and little things that happen that, you know, you don't notice right away because you're too busy looking at the, the main picture, the big picture. But when you've already seen that, when you know what you're looking for, when you have the opportunity to kind of, you know, let your eyes wander around the screen, 
screen, you see there, there's a lot there. It's an absolute feast for your eyes. Uh, and it's such a good show. Yeah, and that's the thing is there is there's a lot of little things that, you know, if you pay attention. And the issue, you know, that, you know, obviously some of the things that we saw that that happened, um, you know, throughout the uh, the series, the beginning, you know, the, like you're saying, like the dialogue is so good and the writing is so good and everything's so good. Because they were taking from George R. R. Martin, they didn't really have to write anything. It was already all written. Right. So he was brought on, obviously, um, as a part creator. I mean, because these he are was his a consultant. Books. Yeah. Well, and he also wrote. He wrote episodes. a few episodes. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he had wanted to continue. His his goal was to write one episode per season. And then act as a consultant for the remainder of the episodes. Uh, but he took a step back after, I, I forget which season, but he ended up taking Five, a step back uh, to work on the book that still has yet to come out. And that was the, the biggest issue is that the uh, TV show uh, outpaced the source material. Right. And they started uh, taking liberties with certain characters and certain things. I think at a, at a certain point, you know, um, so when he took a step back, he was still kind of like a consultant. And then the, he reached a point where he just had nothing to do yeah. with the series anymore. Um, well, before we keep delving into this, let's do our getting into character question. Yeah. So our getting into character question for today, because... The first season, uh, I, f I think it's episode six or seven. Uh, the first season has the first really satisfying death that kind of sets the tone for some of the future deaths uh, that occur in later seasons. Yeah, so and in case you don't know, we are going to be spoiling this heavily. And it's episode six, A Golden Crown which is rated uh, 9.2. Yeah, I was just saying, most of these early episodes are highly, highly, highly rated. The lowest rated episode of season one is 8.7, and that's episode three, Lord Snow. So it goes 9.1, Winter is Coming. Mm -hmm. The King's Road is 8.8. .8. Lord Snow, 8.7. Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things, 8.8. .8. That's where we meet Sam for the first time. Uh, the Wolf and the Lion, where Jamie and uh, Ned cross swords, 9.1. A Golden Crown, mm -hmm. 9.2. You Win or You Die, uh, 9.2. The Pointy End, with uh, Khal Drogo getting his cut. Baylor, 9.6, Episode 9. Wow. Fire and Blood, Episode 10, 9.5, and I was incorrect. That's when we meet Tywin Lannister. He's in episode 10. So I thought he wasn't, we didn't see him until later on. But he's more of a, a prominent character, becomes more of a main ish character in the second season than obviously in the first one because we, yeah, you're right, we meet him in that last episode. So, you know, the question that we're throwing down for today is 
which death and now you know we're talking about the entire series in your opinion which death was the most satisfying are we talking about uh in that season or like just overall? I just said this goes for the entire okay. series. I mean, I mean, I know today we're talking about the first season, but this question goes for the span of the entire right, so series. So the span of the entire series, the Which, most satisfying death? Yes. Um, I have a couple. Uh, Marin Trant in the whorehouse with uh, Arya. Okay. Yep. The guy who kept wanting his girls younger and younger and younger. Yeah. Uh, the guy who would abuse Sansa at Joffrey's request. Uh, the guy who killed Sirio Pharrell. I mean, maybe off screen. Um, so apparently uh, Maisie Williams asked about that. Asked, like, is he still alive? Can he come back? And she was told, no. Yeah. So, I mean... I don't know what happened in the books. Uh, I'm going to have to reread them because I, I only got halfway through book five and I haven't picked it up in about a year. So I need to maybe restart this again. Um, I mean, that was a satisfying death. Um, and I know it's, you know, we're, we're talking generally, uh, you know, I, I think your question is like people that you hated that you wanted to see die. No, I'm but, just you know I, it could be taken that way or Leanna Mormont. That was a satisfying death. Like if you have to go, go out the way Leanna Mormont goes. Mm. Like that was a good one. Um, Daenerys, I, I was uh, satisfied with that. Um, like there's a few. There's there's some good ones. Uh, there are also a couple of very unsatisfying deaths. Like, the Hound in the Mountain. Hated that one. That sucked. Cersei and Jamie. Yeah, that was what dumb, What the too. fuck? That whole situation was just fucking stupid. Cersei Lannister would not have gone out like that. Yeah, she would. No, she wouldn't have. She had incredible confidence in everything that she had set up and... No, no, she she would not have gone dead. She would not have. She's not as smart as she thinks she is. Yes, she is. No, she's not. She she would not have allowed that to happen. Um, I think for me, number one is Ramsey Bolton. That was a really, a really good one. I wish we had seen a little bit more of it, but at the same time, uh, sometimes just the auditory cues... I, you and had letting to look your at Sansa's reaction. Well, I was just I was just going to say that sometimes the auditory cues and the reactions of those around what is happening. Mm. You know, you can kind of create this picture in your mind and sometimes, you know, what your imagine, you know, kind of let your imagination run wild and sometimes what you can come up with is a lot more, you know, satisfying than what they could have put on screen. Right. Um, I would also throw Jorah Mormont and Beric Dondarrion in there. Beric Dondarrion, yeah. Uh, like, that was a really good one. Um, Theon, you know, coming full circle. But see, I hated his death because it was not, it, it was unnecessary. It It bought the amount of time that he needed to buy. 
for things to happen the way they did, which mm. was not great. But um, I mean, off obviously, Ned Umber. Uh, Ned Umber. Oh God, fuck Ned Umber. In the spiral. Yes. Yeah, that we never. They yeah. never said what that meant, but okay. Oh, no. Somebody uh, posted a meme the other day. The spiral is uh, all our hopes and dreams going down the drain. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes or sense. Or being flushed down mm-hmm. the toilet. Um, obviously, the death of Joffrey Baratheon Lannister um, was super satisfying watching him turn purple uh, at the, the purple str- wedding. The strangler. And honestly, you want to know... Oh, God. The Red Wedding, the entire Red Wedding scene is so satisfying to watch. Except when they kill the, the Lannisters dog. send their regards. Yeah, not the killing of the dog, but... Um, the wolf. But yeah. Um, but like taking out three Starks right in a row, boom, boom, boom. Four, technically. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> four. That's but, true. But they didn't get two of the guys, and one of them... See, this is where the kind of the books sort of... Uh, branch off from uh, the show. Like one of the biggest things that they were trying to do was kill uh, Great John Umber. You know the huge guy that got his fingers bitten off by the wolf. Oh my God! I can't believe you didn't mention it. Uh, Walder Frey uh. and his sons being baked into a pie <sighs> and then fed to him by Arya Stark. Here's the the problem I had with that. Uh, in season two or three, when Bran meets Sam at the wall before they cross over, they tell the story of the rat cook who invited an enemy into his home and provided guest right, which is, you know, giving them bread and salt, which once that what's that what that means is when you uh, offer guest rights, it means you are safe in their home. They can't harm you, which is what Walder Frey does prior to um, prior to the Red Wedding. You see Rob and Catelyn and everyone eating bread and salt, and that's supposed to be this, you know, uh, guest right. And one of the most heinous crimes that the gods frown upon is offering someone guest rights and then harming your guest. So in the story of the rat cook, this guy had, the cook, had killed his enemy's uh, sons and baked them into a pie, which he then fed to his enemy. And the gods were so angry with him that they cursed him, turned him into a rat who is doomed to forever devour his own young, but never... uh, satiate his hunger so for Arya, i believe disney turned that into a movie yeah it's called ratatouille, ratatouille. yeah <laughs> so for uh for her to do that to his kids i don't know if he offered her guest guest rights as you know she was infiltrating his home but you know i just didn't like that aspect of it Although I did like when she killed him, the one-liner of the North remembers. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, the last thing you'll see is a, is a Stark smiling down upon you. When she poisoned everyone in the first episode of season seven, she says, you know, she doesn't let any of the women drink the wine. And she looks at her, she goes, tell them, 
tell them what you saw today. Tell them what happened. Tell them the North remembers. You know, so I thought that was uh, that was pretty good. And even Viserys's death in the first season, which is the first satisfying death crown for seen, a king. Uh, he's oh god, he's such an asshole. After they shatter his fucking arm, like he's so oh god, he's so like weaselly and just ugh. Well, here's I mean, the like, thing. he's fucking creepy to begin with. Well, he's a Targaryen. And you know what they say about Targaryens. Every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin to see whether they'll be good like Rhaegar or insane and power-hungry and vicious and cruel like Viserys. Rhaegar was totally different. You know, we have that story that Barristan Selmy tells later in uh, uh, season four or five when he's with Daenerys, and he says that he's, uh, you know, Rhaegar would sing... And they would get money, like they would stand on the corner, and they would, and he would sing, and he would get money. Then we'd give the money to the poor or whatever. Um, and Viserys was just cruel and insane, you know, because of all the incest and you know trying to keep the bloodlines pure. Um, we'll get into it when we get into our main main uh, discussion. But my whole thing is. When Viserys shows up demanding his crown, saying that he's going to cut the baby out of Daenerys, he's drunk. But there is no alcohol in Vase Dothrak. So what happened? Like, it's one of those big conspiracies. You know, it's there. there's a lot of different theories, but how did he get drunk? There's no booze. Well, and there's also uh, in Vase Dothrak, you cannot pull your blade. Right, uh, you cannot spill blood, and blood wasn't spilt. Nope, nope. He did not. He did not spill any blood. Uh, did uh, roast him pretty good, but uh, do you have any more uh, satisfying was, deaths before um, we? No, but I do have. Hold on. Yeah. So Viserys, seeing as we're talking about it, I might as well go into these notes. Uh, Viserys's death is reminiscent of an actual practice by the Mongols of Genghis Khan, who were known to execute royal or, or noble enemies by pouring molten gold on their heads or down their throats. That would have been fun to see, too. Ooh, the Mongols did this because they had a strict prohibition against shedding the blood of any member of nobility. Yeah, there's a, a lot of a lot of what Game of Thrones is is based on history. Like the Starks and the Lannisters are the Yorks and the Lancasters in the War of the Roses. That's where these characters come from. Uh, like a lot of characters, a lot of battles have historical analogs. Right, but I just thought that was kind of uh, kind of a neat parallel. You know, the fact that they were. Uh, in this holy place, you know, that it was uh, forbidden to spill blood, forbidden to, you know, remove your blade or be violent in any way for the most part. And they kind of found like a loophole <laughs> around Well, I mean, it. you can be, be violent. Like, they, it just, the, you're not allowed to spill blood and you're not allowed to have a, a blade outside, like in specific areas because they all had arax. Like the curved blade of the Dothraki, although if you ask George R. R. Martin, he calls it Dothraki. Uh, so pronounce these names and things however you like, because there's no wrong way. 
Um, but yeah, we'll get into that because uh, we've already gone a half an hour and <laughs> we haven't even gotten into the meat of our discussion. Uh, so yeah, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to be discussing the characters and the happenings of the first season of Game of Thrones. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. In a world swarming with boring, predictable awards shows, what will separate from the rest? Rise above and unite the podcasting realm in a testament to the outstanding achievements of the community. The Amalgamania Podcasting and Entertainment Awards. Podcasters, YouTubers, and Twitch streamers, now is your time. Make your voices heard and submit your program by going to amalga-mania.com for all the details, submission categories, and guidelines. The Amalgamania Podcasting and Entertainment Awards, the summer's biggest blockbuster event. You don't want to miss it. King Joffrey gets poisoned. Everyone flops their wieners all around his face. Yeah. And we are back. I hope you enjoyed that. That was from uh, South Park. But uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll do some other Game of Thrones something or other music from uh, for the next break. So fun fact about the music, Ramin. Ramin. Ramin Javad. Yeah, I, I can never pronounce his name, but I I think he's fantastic. Um. Had ten weeks. He was not the first. Uh, what's he called? Composer. Composer. He was not the first composer uh, chosen for the series. The other composer dropped out for some reason, left, and Good he had ten weeks to come up with the the music and stuff, the 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 theme and everything, and he he it just kind of came to him. This he is, was whistling it and was like, hey, I might have something here. This is the best opening for any show. The closest prior to this was Dexter. This is this is just the best 
opening theme and like opening like credits just yeah the, the whole it's one of the few the i don't thing, skip. yeah the thing as a whole right like every single episode like so you know sometimes you just you skip it uh Sometimes if you're watching it on HBO or whatever, you know, it gives you the option to to skip the intro. Um, we never skip the intro for Game of Thrones. We always listen to it. It's so good. And the music is so good. We've had the opportunity to see Game of Thrones live twice. Once and, with Ramin. Yeah, which was the better of the two. I mean, both oh, times yeah. were fantastic, but that one was just by far just He played the light of the seven. Oh, oh my God. Um is so good. Like if you are into the music of Game of Thrones and they, they do some really cool things too. So it's not just sitting there listening to instrumentals. There's, uh, there's a lot I was just say, yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> visual effects that happen too. Um, although I could sit there and listen to the instrumentals all day and be completely satisfied, but they turn it into this this whole show. It's a it's a concert, it's a light show. They have, you know, scenes that they they have the scenes playing. Uh, you know, in the backdrop while they're playing the music from the scene. It's just, it's, it's so cool. It's, yeah, if you ever have the opportunity, if you're interested at all, definitely, definitely see it. Like it's, it's worth it, it. Or if it comes around again. Yeah, if they ever decide to, you know, do it again. Like uh, they probably would have done it last year, but, you know. Yeah, things happen. Um, it's definitely worth it. But, anyways. The first episode, I mean, like, the first characters that we meet for Game of Thrones are bit characters. Like, They're the Night's Watch. They're related. One of them is related to a highborn. The, the, the guy, uh, uh, Waymar Royce is his name. He's, had, he's got nicer stuff than the other two uh, Night's Watchmen. He's got... Uh, He's got the, you know, like the fancier cloak, the nicer armor, the better sword, like all his all his stuff is higher end because he comes from a highborn family. I believe his father or uncle, he's related to a character we see later on, Bronze Jan Royce, who is uh, one of the lords of the Vale. He commands the Vale army. Uh, he's pretty much, you know... You know, right below Robin Aaron and Littlefinger when it comes to the rank uh, of of the characters, uh, like their their station in life. So he holds himself in higher esteem, and you know he 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 talks a lot of shit. But we're introduced to them. We get a little bit of we don't even get their backstory. We get a little bit of background about who they are, and then they're all killed. By ice zombies. Well, all but one. Um, the thing that I I like, and I I might I'll probably do this a couple of times. One of the things that I wish they had done in uh, in the show is there are multiple walkers, and they uh, they fight the three uh, Nights Watch, and. At one point, they're kind of they're communicating back and forth, and you get to hear a little bit of it because it, their language sounds like ice cracking and breaking. You get to hear a little bit of it when uh, Will has the head thrown at him. But they're kind of going back and forth, and Will gets the um, gets the sense that they're anxious 
uh, as they're getting ready to fight, and Waymar goes to swing his sword, and it connects with the the ice blade of the walker, and his blade shatters. And so then they're all like, oh, okay, this is fine. Like, you know, we're we're good now. And, you know, people who watch the show and are familiar, this is a reference to Hard Home. Mm-hmm. Because in the book, John wasn't at Hard Home. Oh, really? John doesn't go to Hard Home. Tormund goes, but while they're all gone at Hard Home, that's when John is killed. Because 1-1 is going nuts smashing some guy the other thing i want to throw out there george rr R. martin is a massive giants fan like the new york giants of football and one one is named for phil sims who wore number 11 one one and there's a uh, in the greater lore of of uh game of thrones and westeros there was a, a great general who led a band of patriots, and they were undefeated. The general's name was Bilchek, uh, and he, he led this undefeated group of patriots and thought that they could just beat anyone, and they were so dominant, they never lost a battle until they came across a group of giants, and the giants absolutely destroyed them. I have absolutely no idea what he could be alluding to. But the guy who gets killed... Uh, by one one to cause a distraction while John is getting stabbed his uh, standard and his colors and his sigils and everything it's a blue star on a silver field so he's absolutely a Dallas cowboy <laughs> which I just I love the fact that like and if you're not a sports person you don't get this reference and, like, even as I read it, I didn't get the reference. So, like, this is one of those things, like, we're talking about going back and watching and picking up on these mm -hmm. little subtleties. Going back and reading and picking up on these little subtleties is awesome. Um, but, so we get to see these ice zombies at the beginning. We don't really see them, but we see this group of dead people and horses arranged in that spiral design. Mm-hmm. And then they're gone a few minutes later, and Will's like all kinds of freaked out. And what he sees causes him to defect from the Night's Watch, which is punishable by death. Which uh, happens. Which does happen. He gets executed by Ned Stark, who is uh, Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North. Yeah, so the first family we meet uh, is the Stark family in Winterfell. And it's so crazy watching some of these earlier episodes and seeing how young some of these characters are. I think the biggest change for me is seeing young Peter Dinklage. You know, because you see him at the end of the show where he's got the big thick beard and the long scraggly hair. In this one, he's got he's clean shaven. He's got the the blonde hair. Like it's not even like dirty blonde or brown at this point. But it's it like shows that, that the yellow. Yeah, like all the Lannisters have. Mm -hmm. But it shows the progression of his 
rapid aging due to the stress he endures. Well, not only that, you know, I was thinking about that too, as far as the Tyrion Lannister character goes. He, in the first season, like, he is absolutely a Lannister through and through. Uh, a little bit better in character as far as niceties and stuff goes than his sister and brother at that point. Uh, but he was, he, he, oh, you just, I, you want money? I can give you money, you know? Well, like Lannister did, always pays his debts. You know, uh, very flashy, loving his wine and his women, which, I mean, he, he still does that throughout the remainder of the series, but there's a certain point where there's far less wine and there's far less women. Far fewer women, yeah. You know, um, and the physical progression, like the physical changes that happen coincide with the evolution of his character. The further he becomes, like the, the further away he becomes, you know, the, I'm trying to think of the, the way. As, as the, he progresses through the story. He becomes less of a Lannister. His, his, and his appearances start to show that. Right. He, he goes through, like, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people are like, oh, well, Sansa had the hardest time or Arya had the hardest time. Like Tyrion goes, to, he was uh, wrongfully imprisoned. He went through, and this is another thing that bothered me. Um, we don't get to see it till season two, but when Tyrion fights in the 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 battle, uh, the the green green something, I, I forget, like Green Valley or Green the Grassy Knoll, uh, is, is the green whatever it is. Uh, not the Battle of the Whispering Wood. The Whispering Wood is where Rob captured Jamie. But the uh, green whatever battle um, in the show, we just see him as he's marching off with all his uh, uh, hill tribes. He gets hit in the face with a, 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 a hammer, and it knocks him out for the entire battle, and he does nothing. In the book, he actually fights bravely and kills a couple of people. Like he does, like his character is so much better in the book, and I wish they kind of gave him. A little more than yeah, but I think they, in order to really kind of establish this character journey and evolution that he that that happens with this character, they needed him to do that. They needed him to be, I would say, a little, um, a little bit of a wimp, especially in comparison to his brother, who's you know the Kingslayer. He's the uh, the captain of the Kingsguard and everything. But well, here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Even in his successes, because we see this in the Battle of Blackwater, where they kind of redeem him, even in his successes, nothing he does is good enough for Tywin Lannister. And that's what we see. Like, he goes out and he, he kills Stark men and he fights bravely and he fights with honor. Even though he has no training, he doesn't know how to fight, he's just doing what he needs to do to survive. And Tywin still looks down on him. But it's because of who Tyrion is. It's because of what Tyrion is. What he did. Tyrion is not... Ew, Tyrion has physical inabilities. And those inabilities, he was born that way. He was, he's and... a dwarf. And in the book, he's monstrously ugly compared to, you know... Cersei and Jamie, who, you know, these striking blonde statuesque people. You know, and not only that, 
his birth is the reason why his mother died. Yes. Like he, he, you know, the, don't they say like they, he, he ripped her apart or something he like that. He ripped her open coming out. Um, and to give you an idea of how special and important Joanna Lannister was, her wedding day was the, when she married Tywin, that was the last time anyone had seen him smile. Uh, Tywin Lannister being played by Charles Dance is absolutely perfect casting. Uh, I couldn't see him as anyone else. Maybe Stannis. I could see Charles Dance as Stannis, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, so I, this happens to me when I talk Game of Thrones. I go, I go all over the place. So season one, let's start uh, where we left so, off. So we're we starting with House Stark. Yes, and there's six of them. Correct. And the star, sorry, seven. There's seven Starks. Ned and Catelyn. Mm-hmm. And then there's the oldest Rob. And then Bran I'm sorry, Rob, Sansa, Bran, Arya, Rickon. There is Ned's bastard son, Jon Snow, who is not technically a Stark. But uh because depending on where you are born as a bastard Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on where you're born, you take that name. If you're a bastard from the north, you are a snow. Technically, because he was born in in Dorne, uh, John's name should have been Sand. But because he's Ned Stark's bastard, he is John Snow. If you were born in the Erie, it's Stone. There's uh, Gendry is Rivers. So there's a, a if you're from uh, the Reach where Highgarden is, your flower. flowers. Yep. Um, and in this season, we actually get a little bit of a kind of like the first little tidbit of information as to uh, where Jon Snow came from, who his parents are. Ned Stark tells him that you may not have my last name, but my blood runs through you. You may not have my name, but you have my blood. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So there's a there's. There's a lot of wording for things, especially when it comes to, like, say, prophecies. There's a lot of wording of, of specific phrases and the way things are explained that they're almost open-ended. Like, you could say them with as much confidence and, and surety as you want, but they're a little open-ended. And so they could take, like, you know, what we see a bunch of times— the prince who was promised. Well, is it prince or is it princess? The Valencar prophecy. You know, oh, it means little brother. No, it doesn't. It means sibling. Like, it could mean anything. Like, there's a lot of these things that, because of translation conventions, because there are a lot of different languages. There's, you know, there's Miranese. There's, uh, there's, uh, I can't think of the other one I was just about to say. There's Miranese, there's Dothraki, there's the common tongue, which is English, which is generally pretty much any fantasy or sci-fi. It's, oh, you speak Terran basic? Oh, you speak the common tongue? Oh, you speak the old speech? Like, English is always, like, you know, base level. Everybody speaks it. You know, uh, there's Valyrian, there's High Valyrian, there's Valentine. So there's a lot of uh, mirish. That's what I was going to say. So there's a lot of different um, uh, languages and dialects. So depending on where you're hearing the story and 
again, I was telling you about this. In the books, there is uh, there's this place called the Five Forts, which is essentially like our wall in the north where the Night's Watch live, but it's five times bigger, and they have their own Azora High prophecy that's very, very similar to the Azora High prophecy and the Long Night and all that. So there's there's a lot of back and forth. So when he says that, it's like, what does that mean? Like, does it mean you're my bastard? Or does it mean something else? Okay, so Ned Stark... Nedward. Uh, you think that he's going to be the main character of this series. He has a lot to do with the first few. Actually, he has a lot to do with this entire season mm-hmm. uh, until his death. And, you know, he it's the first time that you're like, oh, yeah, he's not going to die. He's the main character. Oh, I know he's in prison Dur. right now, but he should be fine. Like, what the fuck? He died. He just chopped his head off. Yeah, so... Yeah, this is what you were saying earlier. Like, this show showed us that no one is safe. Right. And, you know, the running gag was, oh, you have a favorite character? <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't. Yeah, don't. Who's your favorite character? Don't. Yeah, no. No. No one. My favorite character is no one. Um, but it's also funny that that is also the same season we learn what do we, there is only one God, and his name is Death. And what do we say to the God of Death? No, Not no, today. no. Not today. <laughs> but in, in, in Game of Thrones, it's, what do we say to the God of Death? Yeah, sure. Take a main character. You know, yeah. go nuts. Have Adam, Haas. Uh, yeah. So uh, Ned Stark has a really interesting kind of like character arc in this season. And I mean, first of all, it's because he's, it's the only season that he's involved with, but he really uh, has a lot of pull over what happens for the rest of the series. Yeah. I mean, um... like because of what happened to Ned Stark, that's why all of the it, it sets in motion everything else that happens. The death of Marin Trant, the death of uh, a lot of various characters uh, is a direct result of what happened to Ned like a war was started by you know Rob becoming Lord of Winterfell and calling his family's banners and marching south originally it was to free Ned and then when he was executed they're like okay you know we're we're done we're not we're not even messing around like you know they you know and, and uh, a lot of the things that happened as a result um, of Ned just, like, becoming uh, aware of the incestuous relationship of Jamie and Cersei, which produced Joffrey, Tommen, and Marcella, because as a result, Ned let Stannis Baratheon, the King Robert's brother, know, and Stannis said, well, if Joffrey's a bastard of Jamie Lannister, the king had no true-born heirs, that makes me next in the line of succession. Uh, we also, in this first episode, get to see a little bit of, uh, not the first episode, uh, yeah, the first episode, we get to see a little bit of, uh, mysticism and magic when 
the giant foreshadowing shows up in the form of the stag that killed the dire wolf. The Stark sigil is a dire wolf, and the stag is the sigil of House Baratheon, and Joffrey Baratheon is responsible for Ned Stark's death, and Rob Stark and Catelyn Stark and Talisa Stark and little baby Ned Stark. Um, they find five dire wolves, and there's five Stark children. And Ned was going to put them out of their misery, but, you know, John convinces them. He's like, there's the dire wolf is a sigil of your house. There's five pups. You have five children. You were meant to have them. So they go and they take them. And you hear the wind rustle a little bit. And John stops. There's no other sound. But John stops. And right after he stops, you hear a whimpering. And he finds a sixth puppy that he named the albino named ghost and it's more of a uh, a theme in the book of albinism you know white with red eyes you know like a weirwood tree like the three-eyed raven himself but that's another time and fun fact for that scene the stag wasn't a prop that was an actual decomposing stag that i didn't know yeah it had been dead for two days at that point. And apparently it smelled horrible. The All actors right. were complaining. Even outside, I'm sure that was that's gross. Um, I have been around dead livestock uh, in upstate New York. And that smell is overwhelming. Even to the point where when you first drive to this place... Because there's a lot of farmland, you smell a lot of manure. The smell of the dead animal overwhelmed that. It's gross. So the direwolf's pups were uh, northern Inuit dogs. That was the specific breed. And as they got older, they were replaced with CGI. Uh, but Sansa Stark, Sophie Turner, actually ended up adopting hers lady lady yes so they all they all had they were also all given names that were suited yeah it suited them and it it also they were very metaphorical like uh you know gray wind not so much but summer you know summer dies at the end at the start of winter um Lady, not so much. Nymeria was named after a great warrior and becomes the leader of a hundred strong wolf pack. She becomes the alpha. Um, ghost, obviously, for obvious reasons. Like most times when Ghost shows up, like you don't hear him. Mm-hmm. You just see him like show up at the last second, like the scene with... Uh, when they tell the guy that they're not, no one's gonna hurt Sam. When Sam is getting beat up, Ghost just appears. It happens a lot where Ghost will go off and nobody knows where he is, and he'll just appear. No sound, no warning, nothing. He just appears, and there he is. Um, shaggy Dog, a Shaggy Dog story, is a story that is very difficult to believe, if not completely made up, um, and. I know it's different in the books, but Rickon's dog is is uh, 
is Shaggy Dog, and we know what happens to him in the show. But as far as anyone knows, Rickon is currently on the island of Skagos uh, riding unicorns around with his with his giant dire wolf, which I think is just awesome. But every they each get one, and they're training them. They're doing a pretty good job. The dogs are incredibly smart. The dogs... The wolves are incredibly smart. We see uh, Summer save Bran's life after he uh, gets thrown out of the uh, broken tower window by Jamie Lannister because he sees Jamie and Cersei having sex. Jamie was hoping that the fall would kill him, but it didn't. Uh, but it did cripple him. And of course there was a whole reason for that to happen in the first place and right and in the first season so not right away but eventually he starts having the the dreams about the raven no he does in the first season he no, has... well, that's what i said but not right away but eventually in the first season that's when yeah, he starts okay. having the dreams about the raven and he also has the wolf dreams where he's yes warging into summer um but they're not sure if it's really a if it's a dream or if he's really doing it and everybody keeps telling no 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 you're not like that's the thing is like warging is like this really rare power but like every single stark can do it and you see it with rickon you see it with john you see it with aria you see it with uh bran and with rob every single one of them the only one who doesn't really you don't really see it with is Sansa because she doesn't have her her wolf for very long. But everybody has that uh, ability. Everybody has wolf dreams. So I think it's I'm kind of glad they didn't delve into that a lot on the show because I think it would have been too confusing. Like for Bran because you know, he's a psychic tree wizard, like it makes sense for him to do that, but it doesn't make sense for all of them to do it. Um uh, because it's just too too difficult to explain. On the but show. they don't even they don't even go into it. They don't even call it warging. It's just he had dreams. Right. The first the first season they don't they don't say anything about it. Just, he's like, oh, I had that dream again, and I I could smell the dirt, and I was running, and I could taste. You know, I killed a, a rabbit, and I could taste the blood, and you know, they're like, no, it's just a dream, it's just a really vivid dream. You know, everybody's telling him that. Even the Maester Lewin, he's like, you see this link on my, my Maester chain? Means I've studied the higher mysteries and, you know, don't worry about it. Like, that's, you're just dreaming. So there's a lot of prophecy and magic that is involved with this season, especially the last season or the last episode of season one where we see something that hasn't happened in centuries But we're not there yet. No. Okay. No. So I want to go back to Ned Stark because I fully believe that Robert Baratheon set Ned Stark up. If, if Robert Baratheon was a true friend, he would not have put Ned Stark in the situation of asking him to be Hand of the King. See, I look at it as... Uh, not when there were other people like... Tywin, like Jamie, even Tyrion, who would have leapt at the idea of being Hand of the King. He was afraid of the Lannisters. 
He didn't trust them. There was one person left on Earth that he trust or Planetos, not Earth. There was one person left that he trusted that he knew would never betray him, that he knew had his best interests. Not Renly, his youngest brother, not Stannis, his uh, middle brother. Oh, actually, no, I think he, Stannis was the oldest. Oh, that, it's hard to tell because Stephen Delane looks a lot older than Mark Addy. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember if Stannis is younger or older in the, well, in I mean, the book. Well, I mean, Stannis would have to be younger. No. Just because, you know, Robert led the rebellion and was able to take over as king, he could still have an older brother. It doesn't automatically make uh, him king. But I know I know Stannis is older than, than Renly. But I don't remember if Robert is younger. Anyways, uh, Ned went to war with him like they were childhood friends. They were uh, both pretty much raised by John Aaron, whose death necessitated the need for Ned to be named Hand of the King. Uh, and, you know, the first thing Ned does is start looking into the death of this this man that he considered a father and using his newfound power to learn everything that um, John Aaron knew. And the problem with Ned, the thing I think that doomed him from the beginning is Ned is an honorable honorable man who always does the right thing and assumes that everyone and else is going to as well. That's what gets him killed. Because he doesn't like Cersei tells him, when you play the game of thrones, you either win or you die. And Ned was in a game that he had no idea how to play. It's like, okay, we're playing hockey and someone handed him a basketball and said, go for it. Or we're going to play football. Here are your ice skates. Like, he had no idea what to do because he spent most of his life in the North, and he was the head guy in the North. He was the, the warden of the North. Well, I mean, and not only that, it had been, what, nine years since they had seen each other last? And 17 years since Robert took the throne. You know, there were children that Robert hadn't even met yet. I, I think, uh, yeah, and, of, and, of vice, children, and vice versa. Um, Common and, and Marcella hadn't been born. So there is a theory. Let me try to find it in my notes. There is a theory that Robert has the uh, touch of death. Yes, I've heard this. So when Robert greets the Starks, he hugs Ned and Catelyn, ruffles Rickon's hair, Shake ha shakes hands with Rob, but does not touch Bran, Sansa, and Arya. Curiously, all four Starks that Robert made physical contact with die violently in future seasons, but the three he does not survive the show. Mm -hmm. This strange coincidence became a popular theory that Robert has the touch of death. And, I mean, it, well, if you think about it, like, that's true. Like, every single person Robert touched every single person that he came into contact with died except for Tyrion but I don't think he had much contact with him I don't think you don't see him touch Tyrion you do see him touch Cersei because he slaps her in the face well I'm and I mean obviously they've had right but I'm saying you don't see it and that's actually a really good scene too when she's kind of taunting him 
I should Maybe wear I the should armor, wear the armor, armor and you the dress. And he, and he backhands her and she says, I shall wear it as a badge of honor. And he says, oh, hold your tongue or I'll honor you again. Like, looking at, like, there are such great performances from all these characters. And, you know, I keep saying to, to you, like, as we're watching the first season, like, I wish we could see a prequel of Robert's Rebellion. Because as we see Mark Addy, overweight, old you know and he we hear these stories of uh you know even from cersei herself when i met him he was strapping he like he was strong and powerful with black hair and the black beard and the blue eyes and you know he talks at one point about you know talking about his hammer like the first when they're telling war stories the first person they ever killed and he killed this uh i forget it was Frey or whatever he killed this kid and um he caved. He's like, I caved in his chest with my hammer. Gods, I was strong then. Robert's war hammer was so heavy. He would wield it. He wielded it with one hand. So it's very similar to the hammer we see Gendry wield later on uh, in season seven and eight. His hammer was so heavy that even Ned struggled to lift it with two hands. Robert was an absolute monster back when he was when he was younger like he could have in one-on-one combat he could have matched the mountain for strength and that's definitely not the robert that we see and we you know can can sympathize with cersei like no i you kind of get why she you know really wants nothing to do with him at this point she was supposed to marry rhaegar targaryen originally and we we hear about this and one of the things that Robert is famous for is his lecherous appetite when it comes to women. Uh, he drinks and whores and hunts. That's what he does. Uh, he spends very little time ruling. He doesn't really care to rule. He just wants all of the perks of being king. And it's what ultimately leads to his demise but you know one of the things that we find out about is after um after uh brand gets tossed out the window and he's in his comatose state in his bed uh cersei comes to see him and tells catlin the story of her son who was born with black hair and he came down with a disease, a fever, and ended up dying. Well, only Robert's kids have black hair, and we see, you know, he has, I want to say, like two dozen bastards. Mm-hmm, about st- that. Strewn all over the kingdom. Like, in the show, you see a lot of them in King's Landing uh, getting killed by the uh, City Watch. But in the books, like I was saying, you know, he has one in the Vale named Maya Stone. You know, he has, there's a a kid, uh, if you were born, he was from the Stormlands. That's where the Baratheons are. So if you are from there and you're a bastard, your last name is Storm. And there's a character named Eldrick Storm who kind of got shifted into Gendry. Like Gendry was a completely different character and they just kind of combined the two. uh, Because Gendry is a blacksmith in the books. Mm -hmm. um, But he's not Robert's bastard. 
So they and they took the storyline, you know, when he gets taken by Melisandre and he ends up hopping in a boat and rowing for four seasons. Um, that was Eldric Storm that Davos freed and everything. Um, so you get to see who Robert is now, and it's not who he was, but as king, he did a lot of what he did as a young man, you know, talking about making the eight, you know, uh, having having sex with someone from every kingdom and, like, one from the Riverlands or something. Like, that was called making the eight. Um, you know, somebody from the North, somebody from Dorne, somebody from Highgarden, you know, all all seven kingdoms and then the Riverlands, you know, and like that's what he was bragging about him and him and Renly got into the argument about that because, you know, Robert was not the most observant guy to you, everyone knew that Renly was gay, you know, but Robert had no interest in that. He only had interest in, as Jamie said. Uh, what do you say? Fun, fucking, fucking boars and and uh, hunting whores, or is it the other way around? Like that's one of the first things we hear Jamie say. And it's so cool to kind of go back and see Jamie Lannister, Kingslayer, like. He's so arrogant in these first seasons. Like, he knows who he is. He, you know, has this great job in the Kingsguard. Like, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't give a fuck, you know? <laughs> like, it's, he doesn't care. It's like He's Tywin a Lannister, says, and he has it made. It's like Tywin says to him, you're blessed with gifts few men possess. Not just his birth you know coming from you know the the most powerful family in all of the seven kingdoms you know the lannisters the you know uh, the good looks that he has the youth that he still has cuz he's you know around 40 but he's also one of the greatest swordsmen in all of the seven kingdoms and he even says when he's captured by Brienne or being uh when he's Brienne's prisoner, he even says there's maybe two or three living, living people who might be able to beat me in a fight, like a straight up sword fight. He, and he is that good. The scene in season one where he fights Ned, uh, the lion and the wolf episode, Ned has no shot of beating, of beating Jamie. I know that he makes that, uh, illusion earlier in the, in the episodes, where he says, you know, uh, he's like, oh, why don't you, uh, why don't you fight in tournaments? He goes, I don't fight in tournaments so that if I meet a man in the field for real, I don't want him to know what I can do. And, you know, that is supposed to kind of make it seem like Ned's a good uh, swordsman. And he's, he's adequate. He was trained by a, a master at arms in his castle. But Ned is not Jamie Lannister. Jamie is if, as we see in the show there's only like maybe two guys that I think could beat him in a straight up sword fight. Uh one would be a young Barristan Selmy and two would be Arthur Dane. He was Dane's squire. 
That's how old he was. Another interesting character that we get to see in season one that we don't see for a long time after, Benjamin Stark. Yeah, we do see him for a little bit. Uh, you know, gets Jon Snow acclimated into the Night's Watch. Yeah. Which is where he's going because he's a bastard. He doesn't have any any claim to the Stark name or any claim to Winterfell. And that's pretty much the best place for him to go. He wants to go somewhere where he can achieve honor. Uh, maybe not glory, but honor. You know, and Ned even tells him, he goes, there's honor in the Night's Watch and Stark men have manned the wall for thousands of years, you know, ever since it was built. So seven, eight thousand years. Um, Black is his color. What was th- that? Was that was my John Snow? You didn't get that? No, no, I didn't get that at all. It was, that I, was a spot on, John Snow. That was John Snow after drinking a quart of gasoline and <laughs> huffing paint for forty-five minutes. But even you know, John Snow. Let's talk about him for a moment. Um, why he's you not know, even that important. This yeah. The start kids, you know, uh we do get to see a little bit of kind of, you know, who they are in this first season and it kind of lays the groundwork for definitely Jon Snow, Arya's and Sansa's character evolution and those three do have quite the evolution uh with Jon Snow becoming the leader that he is and you see a little bit of that that kind of blossoming once he goes to the Night's Watch Tyrion is the one who talks to him yeah Tyrion kind of uh helps him direct his emotions you know telling him that you know of all of these kids here and then you know young men uh he had a very uh, superior upbringing. Oh, yeah. He had a, a, a very nice life. Like You know, some of these kids are learning how to wield a sword for the first time. Yeah, they've never held a and, real sword. And, you know, Jon Snow obviously knows how to do it pretty well. Yeah, Jon's and, kicking the shit out of everybody. Right. He's like, I'm better than everyone. And, and Tyrion pretty much says, you know, you catch a lot more flies with honey than with salt. With vinegar. Well, that too. Salt. Yeah. I've yeah, never, be, never, ever Don't be salty. That, that, no. Don't be salty. No. Don't be a salty bitch. Unless no. you're a sea witch. No, that's... <laughs> but anyways, you know, Tyrion is the one who talks to him and says, hey, you know, you have all of these things that they don't, you know. All these advantages. Right. So teach them. Yeah, help take, them. Right. You know, take what you know. Like, like leaders aren't just born like they right. become leaders like you know pretty much saying become a leader take what you've learned and pass it on because like these are your these are your 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 night's watch brothers now um and you know Tyrion's really the only one who told him what the night's watch was like what it was going to be like everyone else was like oh yeah there's honor like even jamie mocks him you know and you know, talk shit to him and 
you know, so we see the the groundwork being laid for Jon Snow's character arc where he's starting to take on a more you know, more of a leadership role and standing up for his brothers, you know, his brothers of the Night Watch. And he is he's got his heart set on being a ranger. He wants to be a ranger more than anything and he gets named as a steward. But and he's heartbroken. He's not heartbroken. He's fucking pissed because stewards are essentially maids. And Alistair Thorne, who is like their master at arms, like their second in command behind the Lord Commander, has been an asshole to him every single step of the way. Like when he when John finds out that he's a steward, Alistair Thorne is like sitting there laughing at him and, you know, like oh it's a great joke like oh he, he and john was so angry but it turns out that the lord commander gior mormont father of uh the jorah bear. the explorer no, he wasn't father of the little bear. Was father of the little bear that was his grandfather because jorah's that's jorah's dad jorah 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 the explorer yeah jorah the explorer um Jorah, he's not actually from the Andals. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he's Jorah the Andal. Yeah, but I read something of that. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's... And yeah. neither here nor there at this point. Uh, but, you know, Mormont wants him to command, wants him to be in charge, and even gives him his family's Valyrian steel sword. And no one knows how to make Valyrian steel. In the entire show, I think we see four... Or five Valyrian steel swords. We have uh, Longclaw, which is John's, after it comes from uh, House House Mormont. We have uh, Heartsbane, which was uh, the Tarly family sword, Sam's Sam's family. We saw Ice, which uh, is this massive six foot long sword that Ned used to execute Will at the beginning. That's the Stark family sword, which was then melted down and reforged into Widow's Whale and Oathkeeper. And there was a Valyrian steel dagger, but that's about it. The real world analog of Valyrian steel is Damascus steel. Um, and Valyrian steel since the, uh, what's called the Doom of Valyria, which was kind of like Vesuvius destroying Pompeii killing all of the uh, Valyrians, of which the Targaryens are uh, one of the families. Um, they are the only ones who survived the Doom of Valyria. However, no one knows, again, no one knows how to make Valyrian steel, and only a few smiths can forge it. So it's very difficult to uh, to to come across and very difficult to, you know, work with. So for G.R. Mormont to give this sword to John, it's almost like he viewed him as his son, not the son that he never had, but the son that he lost because we find the out... The son that he always wanted. Yes. We find out that uh, Jorah was exiled, or he exiled himself because he sold someone into slavery to help pay for his wife's uh, lavish lifestyle. Um, and so that's why he was on the run. That's why he was with Daenerys. 
Yeah, I see the cat licking your arm. I see. Yeah. Um, She's my little Lannister lion. And the fact that... Hear her roar. And the fact that, you know... You know, and Gior even says that he's like, yeah, at least he had the, the, uh, the good sense or the, uh, the honor or what I forget the exact word he used to not take the, to leave the sword. And it had been with his family for hundreds of years. And he got that because John saved him from a white, a reanimated corpse that, uh, was trying to kill him. John saved him. And so he gave John the sword. And so that's just, you know, more proof of why John needed to be, instead of being a ranger and being sent beyond the wall, which is what John wanted because he wanted action and adventure. Uh, you know, he ends up. Being, I mean, he ends up behind the wall. Beyond the wall. Yes. Beyond the wall. Multiple times. Multiple times. You know, he gets, he definitely gets the action and, and adventure that he was longing for. Um, Another one who has a really interesting uh, arc, and she's definitely not one of my favorites for the longest time, is Sansa. Oh, Sansa is the fucking worst the first couple of... Uh, the first but, half of the first season, before she understands what a goddamn monster Joffrey is. Well, pretty much up until... Ned's execution. Yeah, he beheads her father right in front of her he wants her to watch and then takes her to see his head, the, on, a his spike. head on the spike and then goes oh and there's your septa which is like their nun like, like spiritual kind of like leader nanny type yeah but she's religious she's uh, she's a, there's a septa or a septin like they're the religious they teach them the religious studies you know the the faith of the seven um yeah, she. He's like, oh yeah, we killed her too, and it's like, there's no reason to kill her. She's just, you she's know, an old woman. Sansa is really just doing what she was taught. So at Winterfell, she was pretty much learning how to be a lady, how to sew, how to embroider, how to do, you know, all of these things how that to a lady. See how to right comport how, herself in court. I would say yeah, how to be a proper lady. You know, under the uh, pretense that one day she could be married to a king. She would be married. She would at least be married to a noble or a lord or, you know, she was going to be married to someone of great importance. Right. So she's just doing what she's been taught to do. You know, she's been almost like conditioned to do, um, you know, and then with the whole Joffrey thing, at first it was she was doing was it what was expected of her. You know, she was going to marry Joffrey Baratheon. That was uh, going a, to join a, a the two houses. Right. It was it was the ploy to join the two houses uh, not by a, Ned's. Not a ploy, but like it's a it's a, it's a a way to strengthen the two houses and join them together uh, because they were supposed to have been joined. When Robert married Lyanna Stark, but Lyanna was, according to this first season, kidnapped by Rhaegar Targaryen because Rhaegar was obsessed with prophecy, which we find out later on. But And she died. And it was to the point that he loved her so much that the first night he was with Cersei, he whispered into her ear, Lyanna. Yeah, poor Cersei. Like, you know, good on her for making sure that Robert died. I mean, Robert was 
not bad to her, and considering that she had been cheating on him for... Was it bad to her? 17 years they were together, and she cheated on him every step of the way. Uh, Vice versa. Yeah, he was a big old jerk. He was. But it's not like she was, you know, this demure little princess who, you know, was like, ooh... I can't believe he's so mean. They're both terrible well, people. I mean, she was also doing what she needed to do to survive, like Sansa. So rewatching this, I realized that's exactly what she was doing. So in the beginning, when she's all like, oh, I love Joffrey. I'm going to be queen. And like, have his baby. She's just doing what had been ingrained in her. Like, well, at the beginning, she wanted it. Well, because she, th- well, I think she thought she wanted it because she was told that's what she wanted. Like she's gonna be queen. Like you're gonna be queen. Like who? Wouldn't this is want that? this is the lemon cakes and stupid Sansa. Yes. Like this is the Sansa, Sansa. that I absolutely I, I do not like at all. Um, you know, but you see towards the end of the season like she is terrified and you have to remember she's still a young girl she's like 13 she's a child she hasn't menstruated yet and that's brought up multiple times that's not me just speculating (laughs) she's a child she just witnessed her like this girl has so much ptsd already and then knowing all of the shit that she goes through, everything that happens to her, like the fact that, you know, she is even alive at the end of the eighth season, that's a triumph. But then the fact that, you know, she gets to hold the throne at Winterfell, like all deserving. The queen I, of the I, North. I think that, you know, that was one of the endings that I actually really enjoyed. I loved her she character arc. That. She absolutely deserved it. She became her mother. A, pretty much, yeah. She she became wise beyond her years this at regal one point. This badass who would take no shit from anyone. Right, and she doesn't have to lift a finger as far as as f- a fighting stance goes, because she can have other people. She's smart. She can have other people do it for her. Because she doesn't know how. She wasn't trained to fight. Well, right. But what I'm saying though is she has the 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 brains to get people to she do things learned for from her. the best as far as you know well, manipulation I mean, you know, she Cersei. spent all that time from with yeah I was just saying she spent all that time with Cersei little, little finger. finger yeah like she was able to learn how to manipulate people and she learned but I mean but she also learned how to be a good person you know right. from her parents from her time with Brienne from I mean being around her siblings that's honor right there she learned to be uh uh honor-bound and dutiful, which are two of her mother's family words, family, duty, honor. You know, but in that first season, oh my God, she's so fucking annoying. I love Joffrey. Joffrey's my king. I'm going to marry Joffrey. And have his baby. But you do feel for her at the end because, you know, after witnessing her father's death, seeing the terror in her face. Even when he was arrested and the way that, like, they kind of the entire small council and and Cersei kind of corner her and they're like asking her all these questions and interrogating her and you know, make her write her, the letter. Making her call her own father a traitor. Making her call her brother, Rob Stark, who was leading this whole, you know... Crusade, crusade to get them back. Right. Uh, calling him a traitor. Like, yeah, it was... It's it's terrible. So I, I understand 
you know, especially upon multiple rewatches, you know, I understand where she's coming from. Towards the end, it was more so just self-preservation. She was trying to stay alive. She started learning how to play the game very early on, like when Tyrion, you know, again, this we're getting a little head into season two, but like, you know, tell me, do you really still want to marry Joffrey? Joffrey is my king and my one true love, and I love him with all my heart. And Tyrion just kind of looks at her and goes... Something like Sansa Stark, you may outlive us all. Like, because she's starting to really. She's starting to get Learn it. how to play the game yeah. at 13. Because you got to remember, all these kids are very young. And, and, you know, the crazy thing is the only person throughout all of this to really offer her any shred of kindness in his own way is the hound of all people. And Tyrion. Well, Tyrion, yes, but Tyrion really isn't there during this time. No, it, it, the hound... Immediately after her father's death and dealing with the aftermath, like, the hound was the one who, who you know, had her back. She, you know, he stepped in and intervened when she was going to throw Joffrey off the parapet. He uh, gave her the handkerchief to wipe the blood off her face after Marin Trent hit her because Joffrey's a fucking coward. Um, you know, he's there. He's, he's the one who saves her during the riots in the next season. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot that, you know, there was a, there's a fan theory. Uh, it was called the San San theory because Sandor and Sansa that they were going to end up together. Yeah. You mentioned that during the lemon cakes and stupid Sansa yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that that would have been pretty awesome, but you know. They didn't ask me to write the show. They should have. You know, and another one, speaking of, you know, seeing as we're speaking of him, Joffrey Baratheon. Like, Jack Gleason. Oh, my fucking God. This kid has talent. He's friends with Batman. Yes. (laughs) So he based uh, his portrayal on Joaquin Phoenix as Commodus in Gladiator. And I see it. Yeah. I absolutely see it. He uh, ended up getting a letter from George R. R. Martin saying, "Congratulations, everyone hates you." I mean, like that's... pretty much saying, "Congratulations on doing such a good job. Everyone hates you." Like, and that he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He's a spoiled, cowardly. You know, like the first thing that Tyrion says when he sees him, and he's like, "Oh, I just came back from uh, all the big battles and." Uh, didn't didn't see you on the front line didn't where where were you you know because and this time kings typically will lead the battle they will fight they will be on the front line robert did it stannis did it rob did it renly did it for a time john snow did it mance raider did it like all these guys were always on the front line fighting these battles um because that's what a king does he leads by example why would and he even says this to Joffrey, why should your men follow you if you're not willing to fight for them? You know? So there's uh, there's, there's so many characters. Like, we've already been going for an hour. We haven't talked about Sam. We haven't talked we about Craster. About, I mean, uh, we haven't talked about Pip and Gren. I mean, so let's talk about Daenerys for We a haven't moment. talked about Daenerys. We haven't, yeah. Cal Drogo <laughs> I mean, Cal Drogo is another one who is only around for this season, and you know, 
he's definitely felt throughout the remainder of the series, uh, mostly in remembrance uh, through Daenerys. Uh, but again, you know, him dying, that's what sets her on this path towards you know, world domination for the most part. Yeah, her, her uh, I mean, she got him after the attempt on her life. Drogo became so enraged. Like the Dothraki uh, were very superstitious. They would not cross any water that their horses couldn't drink. So they wouldn't go, they'd never been across the sea. And we see them eventually crossing the narrow sea and coming to Westeros. But it takes a long time and a lot of like really massive like events. Like once in a million years, you know, the comet. The dragons, like all this mm. shit has to happen. Like her twice surviving uh, a massive fire. Like there is, uh, there's a lot that, you know, would take to convince these guys to do something. And he's like, yep, this is what we're going to do. And this is how it's going to happen. So it's like, yeah, he oughtn't to have said that because now he's, now he's dead. Um, you know, like. I think Robert might have touched him like they gave a high five. Yeah, yeah, that that's what happened across the ocean. Like, yeah, high five. Robert, Reach a little. Yeah, Robert Robert touched Robert touched somebody who touched somebody who touched somebody who touched Drew six degrees of separation. So will you to, tell, tell ten friends. Yeah. You touched ten friends and you touched ten friends. And everyone um, has been touched. Now every everybody's happy and Robert kills everyone. But you know, it's it's crazy because Khal Drogo was such a really good character. Uh, and again, it's like, oh my god, they killed off this, this really good character and they killed him off in that manner, in that way. Uh, you know, and, and you really feel for Daenerys because she did everything to try to bring him back, including, you know, inadvertently sacrificing, sacrificing her, her unborn child. Uh, and and that didn't save him. Like, he was alive, but he wasn't a person anymore at that point. He was vegetative, point. essentially. And, you know, she ultimately ended up smothering him with a pillow. Which is just such a... a, a shit way for him like he's one of the greatest warriors of all time and the he first thing you find out gets is an infection and dies gets smothered by a pillow by a 14 year old girl because she was like 13 14 in the but you know you really book. start to see her come into her own she's this timid girl uh she really has no purpose but then she finds her purpose. Right, because she was supposed to be, like, she was given to Khal Drogo she was, in she, exchange like a for his army. Right. Like, it was, again, one of these political marriages to strengthen and create alliances. You know, and it was all because Viserys wanted to be on the Iron Throne. Because he felt it was his right, because he was uh, next in the line of succession as far as Targaryens were concerned. And, you know, again, we could go on for another two or three hours because we haven't talked about Littlefinger. We haven't talked about Varys. We haven't talked about Pycelle. We haven't talked about Renly. We haven't talked about Jory Castle, Roderick Castle, Theon Greyjoy. We haven't talked about Catelyn, really. We haven't talked about uh, Jorah much. We mentioned a little bit about him. I mean, you don't find out a lot, but Illyrio Mopatis, who is the the guy who sheltered and helped um, Daenerys and, and uh, Viserys this whole time 
we haven't touched on uh Alistair Thorne much. Uh Aemon Targaryen, Maester Aemon at the at the wall. We've mentioned Sam, but like where Sam is one of the most uh crucial characters to the well, entire I mean, story. Sam is the narrator of the story. That's that's essentially what I've been I started saying, you know, years because when we see Sam go to the Citadel and we get to see the astrolabe for the first time. Everyone was like, "Holy shit, that's the thing in the beginning. That's that's the uh that's the um you know, like you see these lights and like this magnification and like, it's like, "Oh Holy my god, shit. that's the Game of Thrones." Yeah, like with the uh the the um mosaics that are on each side of it. And that was the uh other thing I was going to say about the beginning that I totally lost my train of thought about. It's it's very helpful because this is such a huge world and because we have no frame of reference for it, getting to see, you know, here's the wall. Like we start at the wall and we travel south. Here's Winterfell and we travel south. Here's King's Landing. We travel north. Here's this. Here's that. And then you get to see not only what these places look like, but where they are in relation to each other. Like here's Vase Dothrak. Here's Pike, you know, the Iron Islands. Here's Dorne. Here's Highgarden. Here's Lannisport. Like you get to see all these different places and where they are. Like if, if it was like, oh, well, the, the Starks are in Canada and the Lannisters are in Seattle and King's Landing is in Florida. Like, we have that frame of reference. We can understand where everything is. But in Westeros and Essos and Sothorios, we don't know, uh, especially if you haven't read the books, you don't know where everything is in relation to each other. Like, how do you get to Volantis? How do you get to uh, Bravos from, you know, Eastwatch by the Sea? Like, where is all this stuff? Like, they're just names and they don't mean anything. So that's why I really like the, the openings, because it gets to show you where everything is. You know, that's, that's what I like. But, yeah, we could we could be going for another couple of hours. And, you know, knowing me, I would talk all about a whole bunch of other stuff. But suffice it to say that we learned a lot of lessons from season one. We learned that when you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. And Ned did not win. Viserys did not win. Caldrogo did not win. So we lost three huge, hugely important characters in a span of three episodes. Or four episodes. Six, seven, eight, and nine. We lost all of these characters and... We still had no idea who the main main protagonist was. And we didn't know for a while. Because there's so many different so many different storylines and plot points and so many different characters well, who are you so know, and important. Just to kind of jump ahead a little bit, you know, in season two, even more characters are introduced. Season three, more characters are introduced. But they do a really good job of kind of keeping everything separate. So, you know, and you know who is who when you need to know who is who. Right. Like season two, we meet Stannis and Melisandre and Davos. We meet uh, Jack and Hagar. We met him season one. Yeah. The last episode. He's a prisoner. We, we, we see we him. Didn't, no, we we see that there's somebody in the cage with a and Biter, but he's got the hood up. 
we don't I don't think we see him and Tom Wallachia until the next season starts where they're going up the King's Road and the gold cloaks show up looking for Gendry. Um but like we see somebody a mysterious hooded figure in the in the cage with those other two guys and we see those guys get killed later on. Loris Tyrell, the mountain, we didn't talk about them. <laughs> They're not important at all. Like there's there's some crazy stuff that happens in in season 1 and it's it's just an amuse-bouche for the rest of the series. So I think this is a good place to take a break and when we come back uh, we will wrap things up and give you our new battle. So we'll be right back. Are you looking to add to your collection of sports memorabilia? Trying to find that grail item to show off to your friends? Do you like to win? Then head on over to the Major Sports Drops group on Facebook. From pucks to jerseys, bats to helmets, Major Sports Drops is your place for sports memorabilia items dropped daily. Signed by today's stars as well as Hall of Famers. Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Mike Ditka, Barry Sanders, Wade Boggs, Zdeno Chara, Odell Beckham, Lamar Jackson, Frank Thomas, and many more autographs have already been pulled. You can get in on the action for as little as $5 per spot. There are multiple drops each day, with special contests also running at various times each month as well. So join the Major Sports Drops Facebook group and get in on the action today. Greetings, weary adventurer. Do ye have a taste for the exotic? Do regular snacks no longer provide the thrill ye seek? Would ye rather eat a codpiece than another boring candy bar? Then it's time for ye to sink your teeth into Mythical Meats Exotic Game Sticks. Mythical Meats offers a wide variety of exotic flavors based on creatures of legend to give ye a snack experience of epic proportions. Like it hot? Try the Spicy Creatures Sample Pack, featuring dragon, chupacabra, and werewolf. More in the mood for something a bit milder? Try the Creatures of the Sky Sample Pack, with Pegasus, Griffin, and Phoenix. Can't decide on which one you want? Why not try the Exotic Flavor Sample Pack? featuring all ten flavors so you can find your favorite. Go to mythicalmeats.com to see the full selection of flavors and place your order. All orders over $49 get free two-day shipping. Mythical Meats Exotic Game Snack Sticks. So good, they're legendary. And we are back. So... I know that was kind of uh, rambling and meandering, but I do hope you enjoyed that conversation about season one of Game of Thrones sprinkled in with some of the books and some of the uh, later season stuff. As you know, it, it has been 10 years since that came out. And, you know, I think for the most part, um, folks who watched the show and watched it regularly uh, did enjoy it. And even though the, the final season wasn't that great, uh, and there was a lot of stuff over the pa- the last two years that, maybe didn't make sense as far as the characters actions and you know what had been established there was a lot of plot holes Uh, i will say that i think a lot of the stuff that happened uh, was still shocking i think that still uh held true even though it might not have uh been to the same level as the first few seasons Uh, i think we were still fairly surprised and a lot of the uh you know theorizing and everything that went on um 
you know, a lot of those folks on YouTube and, and um, you know, the different podcasts, a lot of people speculated and, and guessed on things. And, you know, a lot of people were way off. So, you know, myself included. But uh, I will say that uh, despite all that, I am looking forward to the upcoming House of the Dragon uh, giving us the uh, the uh, the Targaryen dynasty. I think that'll be uh, that'll be something to look forward to. Now, Ashes, you have uh, you have wine you want to talk about. I do have wine I want to talk about, and it's a good thing that I just found it because uh, yeah. So a few I want to say a few weeks ago, probably like a month, month and a half ago. Anyways. I tried this new wine and I loved it. I mean, it should say new to me. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, so much that I've bought like two or three more bottles since then. It's an interesting wine. It's a it's a red blend, but it's not a typical red blend. Uh, it's called a Meritage. So it's Sterling Vinters. Vintners, well, that's a word, huh? Sterling Vintners collection. Uh, it's a meritage. So you could be asking, well, what's a meritage? You know, sometimes uh, different a blends of America. Different blends have different names. So a meritage is a blend of Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Malbec, and Petite Verdot grapes. So. Not just a hodgepodge of a bunch of reds, but, you know, kind of a hodgepodge of a bunch Not of reds. Not a hodgepodge, a meritage. So the wine opens with an inviting and vivid nose of freshly picked raspberries, cranberry, cherry, and melted dark chocolate. The wine is juicy on the palate where the nose rings true with flavors of mixed berry fruit, mocha, and subtle toasted spice. The well-integrated oak influence offers a pleasing warm vanilla note and leads to a long-lasting seamless finish with balanced acidity. Uh, it's so good. It's so smooth. It is so smooth. So sometimes with red blends, you can get a little bit of like a sourness to it or a little bit of, uh, of a bitterness to it, depending on the blend. Um, I liked it. These blends marry well with each other and... It is so good. You know, uh, a little bit juicy on the front of the palate. You definitely get that nice, rich berry flavor. Um, you know, you definitely get kind of like the, the mocha notes. A little bit of spice. I also got maybe a little bit of tobacco uh, in the back of the palate as well. But that, that oak finish is what just really makes it. It is so incredibly smooth so you know there's some dryness in there which is just it's it, it's a nice dry uh it's really good it's really good so it's sterling vintners that's a word <laughs> collection it's in a really chic bottle it's just a silver label but it's called a meritage and like i said i'd never had it before uh obviously i've had red blends i've loved a lot of red blends, but this is one that uh, it's definitely unique, and I think it's definitely worth trying. Yeah, I liked it, and it was a little. Uh, it's drier. I like the sweeter ones that aren't very dry. Yeah, see, I took a sip of it, and I thought for sure you weren't gonna like it. And I, I liked it quite a bit, so I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was good. So we have 
a new battle this week. We do. And when we have a new battle... We have to play the battle theme! And now it's not going to... And he, oh, there we go. So this week's battle, we are throwing down worst episode ever. Which series had the least satisfying ending? And you can choose from Game of Thrones, Dexter, Lost, or The Sopranos. Yeah, this is a tough choice because there is a lot of stuff that got built up in all of these shows and... It didn't end as well as I would have hoped. I, I, uh, I, mm, yeah, yeah, you know, like, I, I thought, I thought I knew what I was going to choose. I thought I was going to be like, yep, it's that one. I still have a grudge against that one. Uh, and I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And especially with, you know, this being the 10th anniversary of Game of Thrones and, the new season of Dexter being filmed literally down the street from <laughs> yeah, where we are yeah, right no, now. It, it, that is that we aren't being facetious. It's literally being filmed right down the street. Yeah, it's like five minutes down the road. Like, it's it's wacky. Haven't seen anyone, though. I'm kind of hoping Michael C. Hall will just be like, hey, what's going on? I'm Michael C. Hall. Like, like, like hey, are there any podcasts that, that I can Guest well, on. that's the thing is uh, I'm trying to get us to be <laughs> verified because Twitter's got a new thing where you can apply for verification of either you or your 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 program. Like there's different criteria you have to follow, but you can apply for verification, and something like that would definitely be helpful in getting guests. Like, hey, we're a verified we're a verified account. We are verified on we Twitter. Send, we can send you a we can slide up into your DMs. Be oh, like, let me slide up into your DMs with my blue check mark. Like, hey, you up? Want to be on my <laughs> podcast? <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, the uh, the sandbox <laughs> for these uh, where you'd be watching them would be uh, the uh, it would be Springfield. Uh, you'd be watching them on the Simpsons couch because you got to have a sandbox. You got to have a, where you're going to be watching this. But this isn't a typical battle. I know it's, it's not a, a typical. That's why we don't have a, a guest referee. You where, where you would be watching this in the comfort of your home. I'd rather watch it with Homer. But that you go cool. watch Game of Thrones with Homer. Or with Bender and Fry. I'm going to go drink wine in the kitchen with Marge. I know doctors, you know, I've been drinking a glass a half, gla- a, a glass of wine a day. I know doctors say you're supposed to drink a glass and a half, but I just can't drink that much. Uh, but yeah, we have... Uh, we have some cool stuff coming up for you. Uh, I hope everyone's seen Mortal Kombat at this point, because uh, that's what we're going to be talking about next time. So Mortal Kombat! <laughs> oh, I had such a great idea of what I'm doing with the theme for that. That's the worst impression ever. That's even worse than your Jon Snow from earlier. Yeah, but you know what's sad? The good people at home can't see the awesome dance that's accompanying this rave that I'm having right now. You look like a malfunctioning robot. (laughs) 
does not compute. You look like a robot that someone poured like coke into the central processor and it's flailing around trying to put out a fire that's inside of it. That's what you look like. You're right. There is a fire inside of me. Oh, God. And I just got to dance. Yes. You sound like Strong Dad. (laughs) (laughs) So I think with that being said, this is a good time to stop. And we we will will see you next Thursday. Thursday.